gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Well, that's what says in the sport, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's uh, bright and early. I don't know what day it is. And I'm on the phone with uh, two legends in the tournament archery world, uh, Levi Morgan and Justin Hanna. What's happening, fellas? How's it going? Not a whole lot. Being Mr. Mom at the moment. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? Yeah, I get uh, pretty much. I'm uh, like I'm too shy of a basketball team, so we're working on it. The <laughs> uh, uh, so you um, it's uh, kind of um uh, funny, right? My 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 wife, uh, she's into archery, and uh, you know, she, I think uh, at one time she thought I I just couldn't like lose, and I was you know the greatest shooter in the world, and I was explaining to her, I'm like, you know. <laughs> I say, honey, I can shoot pretty good, but believe me, there are people a lot better, and she just couldn't fathom it. So um, now I'm like gay boy on YouTube showing – we're watching uh, Levi and Justin, amongst others, on on YouTube on uh, – what is it? Competition Archery Media. And uh, Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I think – was it – did I take a photo of the screen and send that to you, Justin? Or both of you guys? Yeah, both of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So – I was like, this is awkward, but I was trying to show yeah. my, uh, my wife how, uh, you know, whatever, uh, accurate people can be with a, with a bow, uh, above and beyond me. So you guys are having a fairly decent tournament season, even with your crazy life. Um, uh, Levi, how's, uh, how's things, um, has it been, has it been weird missing a few tournaments or. Yeah. You know, I thought it would be weirder or more weird, whatever the correct way to say that is. Um, but. Yeah, so I had big plans this year in the tournament world. Dude, I practiced so hard for Foley, and I was, like, taking notes again. Like, it was my rookie year, and then, like, bam, just life happened, you know. And I missed the first one because my brother-in-law and uh, my nephews were in a really bad accident. And then um, actually flew home from that one and didn't shoot in it. And then, honestly, after that, I didn't get a chance to practice a whole lot. Samantha was, like, eight months pregnant, and just things got crazy and so I had to miss the next one because my baby was due and then it was like was born Thursday night and the tournament started Friday so like that was out of the question but you know I think why it was I was so busy that it really didn't sink in but it it was a little weird watching the finals from home because even if I don't make them I'm normally there and competing and like really into what's going on and I wasn't even like really keeping track of the tournament i would just see the results and watch some of the finals later and so kind of gave me a little taste of what retirement would feel like i think and i didn't hate it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, that's funny well uh justin you're um even with that fine jawline and amazing beard uh you're actually fairly yep. young how, how old are you i'll be 25 saturday can you even masturbate yet or is that earlier? 25? Do what? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> Pretend like I didn't say that. What, uh, so, uh, tournament wise or whatever, I mean, you, you've, if t- at 25, did you start in the teens or is this something, you know, picked up later? And I mean, obviously you're one of the greater shooters out there right now. What's, uh, what's happening this year? How long would you start? Let people a little bit know about that. 
Um, so I mean, I started I started pro- my professional year when I was eighteen. So I've been a professional for seven years. Uh, I first started competing in tournaments when I was yeah twelve or thirteen, like you said, a teenager. So and I mean, yeah, having a decent year so far. Not quite got a win under my belt this year, but getting close. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw the other day you came in as the leader, and then I, I messaged you, good job, and then you said something about choking the chicken. Um, did, uh, I, yeah. I was, yeah, what happened? Yeah, just the shoot-off didn't go well. I mean, anymore you've got to hit five or six. You've got to hit all the rings and the shoot-off anymore, and I just didn't. Had one or two that didn't go that way. So. Gotcha. Guys are, guys are good. Yeah. You got to be close for shooter of the year, though, don't you, Justin? Like right I there, think, right now. I, I think so. I didn't shoot too good in Foley, but I think after this last tournament, I should be leading yeah. really close. That's what I thought. Yeah. So what? I look. What um um what what's your as for at twenty five? What's the the biggest tournament that you've that you've won or you know biggest success? I guess. I've won two of the ASAs and the known pro division um one shooter of the year one year at asa all 3d stuff yeah. you've almost won vegas a couple of times too though yeah yeah horse shooting almost yeah, yeah i can tell you i can tell you how much you pay for almost <laughs> one in vegas it yeah. very much. no it ain't too good no. <laughs> uh, well if, if if you if you guys don't mind i was gonna um so we i had tim gillingham on the podcast yesterday and so we ninety. I kind of need the yin and the yang because you know we were talking about punching a lot or con, not punching, controlled no. shots. Um, <laughs> yeah, <not> whatever. <laughs> so I want to make sure and kind of, you know, um, equal out the the playing field because I I, uh, I I like to shoot a hinge and and um, I can shoot a puncher fairly good for a while. Then inevitably I end up you know with one in the knee or so, you know something goes wrong and I just don't get that with a you know, with the hinge and can you guys, uh, each of you kind of go over what releases you prefer for tournament and hunting? Does anything change and kind of explain, you know, why you like what, what, what you're using? Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I shoot a hinge probably 75% of the time, uh, a hundred percent of the time hunting 75% of the time in tournaments and then a thumb button, the other like 25% of the time. And when I'm shooting a button really well, and I'm not punching it, I don't punch, I'm applying pressure as I aim and it fires. When I'm shooting a button really well, I, I score better with it. But after I shoot it, cause I shoot a button really light because I don't like when I'm shooting it, I want to apply just barely any pressure and it fires. Um, so after I shoot a button for like a month, my subconscious starts to time it and like, it knows when it's about to fire and I'll freeze if my pin's not like dead still. So I, then I have to go to a hinge where I'm just got this movement and I can just let the pin float and it fires. So I have to go back and forth. Um, cause if I shoot a light button for too long, bad things will happen. Like I will punch it and I don't have the right mind for that. Um, and that's why I shoot a hinge a hundred percent of the time hunting because if I get in a hurry, I feel like an animal's about to run then if I got a button or a trigger in my hand, I will bend it, hitting it so hard. So, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> that's why I have to shoot a hand. Yeah, it, 
that that's kind of the same and I've explained that before like uh if somebody's watching me I can operate it and look like what I know what I'm doing same with an index finger but I'll, I'll break the barrel off with an animal in front of me at times and I have good grip strength. I was single a long time. I can break the barrel. And so <laughs> I, I I was curious if your kind of minds and that's what I was trying to convey on the podcast yesterday. Everybody's mind works different and I can look like a rock star with a thumb button or an index finger for a while. And then yeah. I start to Pearl Harbor the the shit out of it at, at times and like <laughs> You know, under pressure, it's it's really bad. So, Justin, are you kind of the same, a little different, or how how's your mind roll? Yeah, so I hunt with the hands 100% of the time, and like similar to Levi, a few years ago, I would bounce back and forth between a hinge and a thumb button, and same deal. I don't, I would just apply pressure till it fired. But the last couple of years, I've I've solely stuck with a hinge for tournaments and everything, and just I don't know why, but I've just shot a hinge really well for the past little bit, but. I'm starting to like question everything because I've been in, you know, Levi too. We've been beat by hunters a lot here lately. So it's got yeah. me wondering what the heck's going on. Yeah. And even like Remington Boyer, man, who was winning in the non pro class squeezing, like, uh, you know, like yeah. shooting the way we shoot a surprise shot intentionally went to punching because he got beat by Douglas and just all these people that are punchers. And so he's like, I'm going to start punching. And he almost yeah. won this weekend. Yeah, and, yeah. You know? I got third, and him and Kyle Douglas were first and second, and they were intentionally punching. So, I, yeah, know, I don't understand it. Like, I don't have the mind for it. Because if I draw back, like, I've tried it. Like, even practicing. If I draw back and I'm like, I am going to punch the shot when it gets to the middle, I can't even hardly get no. in my peep, dude. I'm like, <laughs> bam, like, get it away. Like, I don't, I don't have the right mind for that. Like, I don't no either. Way. I don't understand it. Like you said, I've tried it just a, a couple times in practice, and it's like, nope, not for me. Yep. <laughs> I, and so, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Everybody's obviously mind works a little different, and that's what I'm trying to explain to, you know, some of the listeners that you guys know how many questions and Q and A's and everything I get, and and I'm not the um you know the level where you guys are shooting, but I, I can hold my own well enough, and I've done enough stupid. Try, you know, like, oh, this guy shoot. Like, right. I tried to shoot like Dave Cousins once with my string on the other side of my nose, like 20 years ago. I like went cross right. trying to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> why am I? Tra-? And then I like Hopkins is a big boy. So I'm like, okay, you know, we're kind of, you know, he's got a big fat head. I got a big fat head. Let me, I can't even get my hand the way vertical like he shoots. I'm not flexible no. enough, right? So, no, I tried that too. Can't do it. He's the only one that's like that. Well, him and his son, Scott. Yeah, right. I could be like that if you two bent my forearm into position. I can't do it on my own. And so, you know, everybody's a little bit different. But what I try to explain, like on a hunting situation, because I'm with you guys with the hinge, like there's a little devil on my left shoulder. And that devil, when I draw back on an animal, punch it, punch it. And the little angel is like, squeeze it off. Well, with the hinge, I never punch. With a trigger? Right. Oh, Lord, especially like little wind and I'm off or let's say the animal starts twitching his head. My mind will say, hurry, the the hinge keeps me calm and the index finger, I'll just break the, I'll just bend it. I'll, it'll be straight yeah. when I start. It sounds like you guys are kind of the same way. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely, man. I, I just realized like it didn't matter if a deer would be feeding with his head buried in a food plot. I, if I had a trigger in my hand, I instantly was like, he's about to run. 
You know, I got to <laughs> kill him now, you know, with a hinge, it just calms me down and it lets me go through my steps. Like how far is he? I need to pin him low with this pin as I'm aiming and executing, I can be doing those things rather than as soon as that a pin touches his fur, I'm letting it go and praying for the best. You know, it's like, I can't do that anymore. I just, it's not fun. It's not fun to me. Like shooting animals with a hinge is fun because I know once my pin settles, it's over. You know what I'm saying? Like now it just goes, as long as he stands there until the shot breaks, it's over. Cause I'm going to hit exactly where my pin is. So. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, what, what are some of the releases you guys, um, shoot? Like I've, I've messed around with everything from, um, the, uh, you know, Scott and B3s, uh, true balls. Like one of the ones I like to hunt with, um, with um isn't it that uh, sweet spot with a little like the safety that's not a horrible one like that's one i just got my wife to kind of screw around with but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not yep. a big fan of uh hunting with um like a true back tension because you can put more or less pressure when you're crapping your pants when an animal's in front of you and you let go of the barrel and it magically fires off because it's different than when you know when you're practicing but right. what are you guys using what do you suggest to guys and uh you know c- kind of go e- each one of you with your own kind of thoughts on that Go ahead, so, Justin. I'm shooting a like a prototype Scott right now. It's really similar to the Ascent that they've had out for a few years. It's got adjustable moons, so I shoot a click all the time, so I can really fine tune that click. Because you know, if you had, you could have three of the exact same releases, and the clicks are all they're three different. You know, so this one you can adjust the moon and get it perfect and have a, the timing you want and everything. Um, but it's a prototype. But I've shot a Scott. Um, pro advantage for years years and years and years um but something like that sweet spot like you're talking about would be great for like you said a, a beginner you know it's got a safety you can draw it back however you don't have to worry about busting your nose and click the safety and you can execute you know so but i shoot it just a standard hinge and i hunt with the same thing too uh, i've just shot once so long that letting go of the barrel is not really a i mean it's always a worry but i'm a little pretty comfortable with it so, yeah. uh, clicker, no clicker. You're better than everybody else. Just say it, Justin. Just say it. Do <laughs> I don't think you're better than everybody else. Just say no. it. No, I just get terrified, and I just and I'm not <laughs> like it takes a year for it to go off when I draw back on an animal. But mm-hmm. yeah. So do you you shoot a clicker ever, Justin, or no click? I always shoot a click. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. I, I and 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 I I shoot a. Uh, a click um i just got used to it and in uh what it well leave i go ahead and then i'll go into my trials and tribulations of getting target panic with a trigger and go into a hinge um but go go ahead levi what uh what do you kind of run and and what have you had i'm going back and forth with all kinds of stuff i you know i'm not uh under contract with any release company and i did that on purpose because i just wanted to try to find one i like and there's little things I like about so many different ones, but I just don't feel like the perfect one exists. So I just am always going back and forth. I think this weekend I shot the Scott Long Brass Longhorn Micro. I think that's what it's called, Justin. It's a micro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that release a lot. Um, but uh, then I went to that new Chris Perkins release, that executive from Trueball, which I also like a lot, but I don't like the the Allen head that you use to adjust it is a 35,000 and you, they're nowhere. It's like, you can't find the Allen head. So it's like, uh, yeah, I had to go on Amazon and order one. So like, there's like 
certain things I like about them and certain things I don't. And, uh, but I do, I, I use a clicker all the time too, um, uh, on all my releases. Um, I just, I can't, I'd be scared to death to shoot a hinge without a clicker. Cause I'd be afraid it's about to go off all the time. Yeah, That's what too. I feel like, you know, um, I just need that indicator like for my shot process and I don't use it like while I'm aiming, I'll just pull back anchor and then pull to the click once my pin gets in there, you know, and then I start my shot. That way my timing is good from shot to shot. And I start from at least start from the same exact spot every time. So, Yeah. Same, same with me. And I, so like with, with, with target panic, I, I don't know with you, Justin Levi, I know you've kind of fought it. So like, well, I'm a fuck. I am old. So this was before Justin, you were born. All right. So when I, I was in like 98 or something, 99, I was shooting an index finger. Well, and at a tournament, everything just, I don't, I, you know, it's like Voldemort, you know, you don't want to talk about it. I just got target panic and I, I couldn't aim and right. I'd be, you know, I'd be coming up and, and, uh, you know, my pin would kind of come remotely close to something that looked like the 10 ring and wham, I'd hit it off. And I went from shooting, you know, well enough. I mean, unknown yardage on a local 3Ds, you know, in the one uh, high 190s, low, you know, single digits to maybe a 210, 212, which was about as good as I could shoot. And then I shot like a 168. And there was a lot of arrows in the leg, the penis. The, I mean, I didn't, I could not control it, right? I just couldn't not hit the trigger. Mm-hmm. And so I went and saw a coach and they gave me a, a hinge. And I, I fired some arrows to Jesus the first couple of weeks getting that thing dialed right they didn't have the technology back then <laughs> that they do now like there was no you know two moons there was like there was like a stand that was really rough around the edges and a, and a zenith maybe and that was like yeah you know it and so what i learned is i could aim really well like it wasn't a problem of holding like put a laser on my stabilizer i could hold it in the dot it was what went on in my brain as that little pin was floating and Levi, you've done some videos on this. Do you want to kind of explain like target panic or how it works for you? And, and you know, I, I have my own ways of combating it, aiming at a bigger dot for me. It'll help sometimes shooting close up. But you kind of want to go over some of your battles, how you've, you know, kind of controlled it? Yeah. So the first time I ever dealt with it was, um, and I grew up with it, but the first time I remember it was, I was probably 10 or 11 and I shot the Pensacola Nationals, um, Southern Triple Crown, I think down in Pensacola. And I lost by two points and I shot the entire tournament target painting. Probably cost me 30 points, you know? And I remember riding home in our little Nissan Quest minivan all the way from Pensacola, Florida, like mad, like super mad as a 10 year old, because it's just, I've never liked losing. And I got home and everyone went inside. And this old man in my archery club back then had gave me a, the, I think it was like the first stand hinge. And it had like a rope on it and a square peg. Like you wrapped it around the string and like <laughs> then put the rope on the square peg. Like it was old. I can't remember what it looks like. <laughs> had a I big, never even went inside and I took, it had the, the big one you had big white rope, right? Not like the little D loop yeah, rope we yeah. have now. No, no, like no. You could rep- big long white, you big could, heavy duty. Yeah, you come <laughs> so out you of you could repel. Yeah, come there. out of a Blackhawk. Yeah. Same one, All right? Same, same. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's how I cured my first bout with target panic. And I remember standing there with that old hinge, and the rope would come around and hit me in the face every time I fired it. I'd have this big welt on my face, but um, I. Uh, then I got it again when I turned pro and started winning. 
um, when I started shooting dots. And I think, so that's when I realized what was really causing my target panic and it was aiming anxiety. I, I had, I'm so used to my pen sitting still. I'm not like Gillingham. It's my pen moves so much that I just, it drives by and I fire it. You know, my pen, my pen goes like normally, like when I'm practicing, it goes to the dot and it don't leave it. You know, it just sits there on the dot and hovers and I just execute my shot. So when I would get nervous and my pen would not sit as still because I'm also not one of those people that have just like Jesse or, or like, you know, those guys that just, don't feel that I, I know they get nervous but it doesn't affect them in like a shaking way what about when i justin, get nervous my you're gonna make justin feel bad what about justin justin you, is, handles nerves way better than i do you left yeah, him I out too early. no my pen still moves <laughs> justin dip bangs when he gets nervous and i've watched yeah. him enough in nervous situations to know that's what justin does you know if he if he's gonna miss when he's nervous it's low i could miss anywhere but normally it's left um, because I'm trying to push my bow so hard to keep my pin still. And then when it fires, it just pushes it left. But, um, Justin doesn't shake like I do when he gets nervous. When I get nervous, like my wrist starts to quiver and like my pin is bouncing. And like, that's when I would stop executing. But when you stop executing your release, you're just sitting there watching your pin quiver there comes a moment in time where it's like do or die. Like, Hey, this shot's got to go, bud. Like the clock's yeah. ticking down, you know? And so that's when I would start to like, with a button, I would just sit there with that light button afraid to apply pressure because my pin's not sitting in the middle. And then it was like, okay, like I'm still, my shot's breaking down. Like I better get this off. Boom. Touch it off, you know? And then like the roller coaster would start. So I, I have what I call situational target panic which is when I get nervous and my pen doesn't sit still, I freeze on the release. And then it's a moment in time where I have to just decide now, you know, shoot it. So, um, but that's why it's so big for me to like, when I start feeling that anxiety to go to a hinge or something or a big dot, like you're talking about where my pen won't leave it. Like I know my pen is not going to leave that dot and I just can sit there and aim and teach my mind again that it's okay to just let that pin float, you know, because just execution is way more important than where my pin's at. And that's a really hard thing to be okay with for me, you know. I don't know if any of that made sense. Probably sound a lot like Gillingham talking about punching, but <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. No, no, Justin, what about you? Have you battled it at all? Yeah, so just like Levi said, like I almost I started with like target panic just because you know when you're ten and your your dad or uncle or whatever teaching you to shoot your bow, it's like all right when you draw back and your pin gets on the dot, just touch it off. You know that's like how I started, and and so I dealt with it for a long time. And when I was a teenager, a guy just he's like, you need you got to stop punching or you won't never go nowhere with archery. So he gave me a hinge with no click, and it was a true ball. Was it like a BT Gold or something? Yeah, that was a good one, too. Dude. Yeah, that was a good one. He gave it to me with no click, and he's like, don't touch it. Don't move. Don't get an hour wrench. Just shoot it. And so, like, I mean, I shot. I sent a bunch of them over the target, you know, bust my nose and everything. And so, ever since then, I've just shot a hand. I mean, eventually, somewhere throughout the years, I started shooting a click. But And, like, like Levi said, like, I can – my bow, you know, under practice and normal circumstances, my bow points really good and all that, and – when I get into tournaments and 
you know, Levi says he pushes hard track and make it still. I'm always like just trying to relax more. So I guess that's why with my, if my shot doesn't break in a shoot off or something in my window, I, I'll like I'll dip bang like Levi said. And so my pen definitely doesn't sit still in a shoot off, but it's like if it when it I aim I freeze up and aim a little bit longer than I normally should, it starts moving bigger and bigger, and I just and I refuse to let down. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I will. So I, I will. I ain't no down. quitter. Yeah. <laughs> no, my mama didn't raise no quitter, so we no. we let it go. Yeah, yeah. When I draw back, I intend to fire it, no matter how bad it gets. So that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, with with I mean, it sounds like my brain works the same as as, as you guys and. uh one of the things that I I realized real quick is I had a hell of a a bow arm right. We, they put a laser on my my bow and and you know you aim at twenty and then they're filming the laser and you know then it was a real eye opener how much I suck in every other way because my brain would tell my left my right hand to shoot and then it would tell my left hand hey he just shot and then I would fling my bow or what you know what I mean like the the the, yep. the hinge fixed that so the the yep. one thing like dealing with like you're both married samantha's an amazing shot i don't know justin does your wife shoot at all no i ain't got nothing to do with it that's probably a good thing but so like <laughs> yeah. with with my my wife is never hunted right she was vegan forever then she you know now I, she's like bloodthirsty she's everywhere hunting with me but there is some like doing a home project like let's say you're gonna build a garage with your wife first don't do that i i strongly bad suggest idea. bad idea shooting is no different um <laughs> and then you know how men get uh like erectile dysfunction like they can't get their 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 thing to work under moments of stress and in that woman in front of them my wife has that with turkeys i like, know about i mean i don't yeah i've heard about it heard about it yeah. <laughs> well with a with whiskey i have done more than heard about it but i'm like she can't draw her bow back when her turkey's in front of her and so and and i'm every time she'll see me like laughing and i'm like honey i'm not laughing at you there's nothing you're going to do that I haven't had happen to me, probably fingers and toes worth. Like, and, I, and so it's kind of enjoying for me to, you know, see what she's going through. But she literally will have trouble. Get, I mean, she'll draw the bow back 100 times in the same position. And then all of a sudden, I got to put my knee on the ground. I can't draw back sitting down. I'm like, you just drew back sitting down. But it's the turkey gets in her mind. Well, then. You talk about left, right? She gets a lot of lefties. She's a lot of force on that front bow arm, kind of like you were talking about, Levi. And then she'll also yep. hammer her nose into the string more, which offsets, you know, centering her peep to her, her housing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without her constantly being mad at me, this last turkey she killed, she missed it by three feet at 15 yards the first shot. And we had just shot like a Copenhagen-led group at 40 before we got in the blind. And then she called it back in. She shoots left again. And she's like, I feel like I'm executing good shots. And I'm trying not to be an a-hole uh, too much. But I'm also trying to get the point across. I'm like, who are you kidding, honey? You missed by three feet. Not like three inches. You missed the whole turkey sub 20 yards. So third time it came in, she... She, you know, she killed it. And what I was trying to explain to her is what you were talking about with stress. What does your brain do? Do you, what do you call it? Dip bang, like longer shots all fade out of the bottom of the peep. Um, you know, or, I'll, you know, I mean, you know, depending on some animals, like when I'm really worried, I can't get the release to go off, um, which right. everybody's got different problems. Why don't you guys, and Levi, you talked about it already. Um, 
so it's not coming out of my mouth because you you guys are some of the greater shooters that that have ever shot a bow. If someone has a wrist rocket and they're not going to go down the let's load up the front stabilizer and keep on punching mentality and they need to get away from the wrist rocket, my advice at first is blind bail, you know, get a hinge or whatever. What are what's your advice, both of you, to get rid of target panic, start working on aiming, so on and so forth? Yeah, I would say, you know, it, get a hinge, you know, first and foremost. And, I, you know, my first piece of advice to would be to set it so heavy that it won't fire. Um, so they're not scared of it. They're not timid. They learn how to draw it back. And then they learn to put their pin and execute it. So, like, don't even shoot. Just set the hinge so it won't fire. And this is what I still do sometimes. If I start feeling anxiety in my shot, like, like if I learn a hinge too well, like my subconscious will start going, it's about to fire, you know, and I'll freeze on it in tournaments. Animals, I've never had a problem. Like it rolls, like it goes, like it's gone. But with a hinge, I would say to, to get a hinge, set it so heavy it won't fire, and just aim. Learn to get that work through the shot and, and aim. And then you can start, once you do that for a while and get comfortable, you can lighten it a little bit and it'll fire sometimes, and then keep lightening it. And that way, people kind of learn how to work it. And at the same time, they're, they're really calming their mind down and letting their pin just float while they work and execute the shot. So they're really killing two birds with one stone. And, and if somebody was just going to learn, like cold turkey, instead of the way we did where we're drawing back and launching arrows into the abyss, I think that's probably the best way to, to really start training with a hinge. So... That's just my two cents anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I would I would definitely not start out somebody with a click because that, you know, it, it's kind of defeating the purpose in a way just giving you a heads up like it's fixing the fire, you know. Right. And yeah. so if you set one with no click really heavy, I mean, you've really got to execute and move a lot. And then, you know, you just not having it heavy or not even firing, like Levi said, would let you let your mind get comfortable with your pin on the dot, like, sitting on the dot, floating on the dot. So that's what I think, like, target panic can be broken down to is just, like, like, fear of my pin being on, you know, on what I'm trying to hit. So, right. And you know, I've noticed even, you know, even today, like, I, I've noticed before that there's times where I'm a lot more comfortable with my pin in, you know, sitting on the dot. And then I've noticed other times where it, it almost kind of gives you just a little bit of anxiety. you got to, you know, work through it. But, that's what mm-hmm. I would recommend too. Just blank bail, get comfortable with your pin, covering what you're trying to hit, and and also that execution. Right. Hinge. Yeah. Well, that's what you know. Like Joel Turner, um, he talks about that. Like your body bracing for that impact, and that's. I think there's several different forms of target panic, and so like that's definitely one where like you know when your pin gets on the dot, you're going to execute the shot, and so your body like keeps your wants to keep your pin away from it, you know, it's like right, it'll yeah. lock low or lock above it. Like don't go there because I know it's both going to fire and your body doesn't like surprises. And that's what Joel like really teaches. And I think there's a lot of truth to that too. Um, that's Bodie, Bodie Turner's dad. Yeah. That's Bodie's yeah. Dad. yeah. And I, I think that yeah, makes uh, a lot of sense like bracing for impact. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was just going to say, cause that's one thing like I've, I wouldn't say argued with, like I don't suffer from, from that, you know, personally, I've also fired a lot of extremely, you know, high-powered rifles where maybe that's broke me from it. But, 
there's there's other issues and and so when somebody will call me uh you know or or message me man i think i have target panic and like okay if you think you do you you probably do but what you know what's going on and well i can't keep my pin on the target and i i hammer the trigger anyway all of it's fixable um, probably some of the worst cases I've ever seen is like as soon as the target, you know, reaches the housing, the guy's firing him off in the buckwheat or over over mm-hmm. its back. But, yeah. you know, blind bail shooting, like take the side off um, and just working on, you know, obviously form and execute. I mean, there's I, there's no really magic pill, but I, I mean, I, I don't know that perfecting punching is the uh, is going to be your fix because it'll get to a point where you can't get your pin by the target. And, and you're going to let it rip. And so um, I, I I guess it sounds like we all kind of agree on the same kind of methodology to, to fix it. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, you're talking about the controlled punch earlier. So, you know, some of the guys that are doing or controlled execution, I don't want anybody to get mad at me. I'm not saying you're punching, whatever you want to call it. Is that something that you would say um, – I, what I would su- I suggest to guys is have the ability to be able to punch it when you need to it when the time's right or hurry the shot up, but you're going to be far better off you know executing a, a hinge and just using the other method when when necessary maybe a windy shot and animals maybe moving a little. Um, you guys have any other advice for that specifically or I mean what are you guys thinking? Because there's a lot of listeners just getting started or with major problems that are going to be listening to this. Yeah, I can't, dude. I, I can't. If I touch it off once, I can't stop it. You know, so like I learned that about myself. Like I just got to squeeze it, like let it go where it goes, let it hit where it hits. But if I go, okay, the wind's blowing, I need to touch it off on this one. Well, the next one I draw back and it's calm and I'm like, no need to do that again. Well, I touch it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I can't stop it. I don't have the mind to stop it. Like, and I've tried like in, in the Vegas shoot off two years ago or three years ago, I shot, I can't remember, maybe it was two, but I shot a light thumb button the whole way, shot 900, shot a really high X count. And that was definitely wasn't two years ago. Was it Justin? That was three. Yeah. And, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> well, you remember making fun of my X count. So yeah. Well, just yeah. Put it that well I can't, I can't say much now after my performance this year, so. <laughs> but then I got in the shoot off and I'm like, uh oh, like it went to baby X scoring and my dot's moving a lot. I like better touch this one off. I touch it off and then I pull back on the next one and I'm like, okay, calm down a little bit. And I'm like, don't do that again. Boom, touch that one off. And I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I it can't stop it. Yeah, yeah, it jumped on me. And uh, by that time it was too late. So I, I don't know. I've, I've just decided I can't. I got to just stick with a uh, surprise shot and. That's the only way I can shoot. That's yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've I've almost accepted that like if it's windy or you know nervous, whatever. I'm I'm gonna make a good execution, and if my pin's moving, if I miss the whole target, like I just accept. Like I'm just gonna make a good shot and let them land where they land, kind of thing. Because I don't. I've tried, like you said, I've tried to touch them off under pressure or on animals and stuff, and it it just it just. Uh, you know, you're riding the line at that point, and it's hard to go back. So, right. it's not like, easy well, to beat. You know, it's no. not easy to beat. And like I, I've been through it three or four times in my life, and I'm like, whatever I got to do to avoid the months that it's going to take me to, <laughs> to 
beat this. You know, I I don't care. Right now, does not matter? The next month of my life matters. You yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit, and, and I hope you guys don't mind. Some of this is going to be rudimentary, but um, I did a podcast on uh, site leveling, just kind of a a basic kind of one hundred and one as far as like first, second, third axis. You know how I do it. Um, of course, I explained to how Gillingham how I did it, and then he made fun of me for a while. But I, um, you know, <clears throat> I. I I don't get as maybe anal retentive. I, you know, I, I have thrown a four foot level on limb pocket to limb pocket, then throw a level like the Hamski level up on the, uh, I'll just say the sight bar, but where your, you know, your, your, your sight tape would go, make sure that's level and then level the housing to that. And then I aim up and down hill and I make sure that's level. I, I could probably oversimplified it, but, uh, you know, then Tim told me I was retarded for putting a, a level on my, my limb pockets or whatever. Um, which, you know, neither here nor there, it still works for me and I hit what I'm aiming at. How do you guys go about leveling your your sights? I mean, what what do you use uh, as far as equipment and, uh, you know, and what's your process? I do I do the same thing you just said. I keep it pretty simple and I'll, I'll throw a four-foot level on limbs or limb pockets. And Suck it, Tim. Get Sorry. the bow level. Okay. In a, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you could you know, how much more complicated you want to get, but I saw, you know, saw a four foot level on the device, level my bow, and then, like you said, take a hamski tool and put on the sight bar where your sight tape goes, level that to your bow, and then level your scope, your second axis, to all three of those will match. And I'll also use the hamski tool with a string and set your third axis because they've got that little pin that, you know, you screw in and you can set your third axis with that. And it gets really, really close, and I always, especially like if you're going to red in your OPA or something, always shoot up and down hills and just double check it and kind of fine tune it. But that's, that's all I really do. I have one hamster tool and a four foot level and I think you're ready to roll. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Since I was a kid, my dad would like, we'd find a door jam in the house and he'd level, like make sure it was plumb. And then he, we would stick my bow, the, the edge of my, um, like, uh, I guess where my axles come out, make sure they're touching the door jam. And then level my sight to that. Like that's how we started before any of these hamski tools. We just find a plumb door jam and stick my bow up against it. But now, like it's not even that important to level your sight to your bow. It's it's the only really thing that matters is that your scope housing is leveled to the vertical adjustment on your bar. Right. Because some people want to shoot with a can, like Jack Wallace. They lean their bow to the right you know, and that's okay. Like it, as long as the sight's level, because what it happens, what's most important with that is like, I guess that's your second axis, right? So like, yeah, your scope's level, that vertical adjustment so that, because if it's not, then from 20 to, you know, 80, you're going to hit left or right big time, you know? So that's where that's most important. And my third axis, I quit even trying to do it in the house. I just go shoot it in. I'll get it close, like you said, and then go out, shoot at 30 degrees downhill and adjust it until I hit the dot and shoot uphill until I get it to hit both ways. Um, because everybody's grip so different that it's really hard. Like somebody come, brought me their bow and said, hey, adjust my third axis for me. I'm going to be like, I can get it close, but yeah. your grip's totally different than mine. You put a different torque on the bow and, it's going to be totally different. You know, like it, you might be four inches left when you shoot downhill. So, um, that's, I do it kind of the same, same way. So I actually shoot with a little bit of cant though in my bow. So I, 
I lean my bow a little to the right. It's not like perfectly leveled with my riser. Hmm. Gotcha. But and and that's, that's actually, well, yeah, <laughs> that's one thing. Yeah, if you like bro. second place, that's what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's what Gillingham was getting on me about because from way back, and I, and I admitted to him, I said, man, it gives me a warm and fuzzy throwing that four-foot level on limb pocket to limb pocket because back in the day, that's – 25 years ago, we had four-foot levels. I didn't yep. have all this other shit. And then, um, yep. and that's what he was basically saying is I could skip that step, um, you know, because it wasn't important. Same thing you just said, whatever, to, you know, level the second, first and second axis to your 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 bow. But it's worked for me, so I just kept doing it. And then I, I have a bright yeah. sight pro tuner because that was like a super cool thing to have in 2001. And uh I still use that because it does help get it close, a little bit less adjustment than, you know, once you throw it on the riser, but you still have to level everything out. The The one thing that I've found is, um, you know, that maybe people don't realize is when your third axis is off. So meaning if you've shot flat ground and you're good to go, that's kind of a false sense of hope if your third axis isn't off. Because you guys, if, if you follow like social media, we're looking at 45 to, I think the biggest we had was a 61 degree angle down there for those out dead sheep in the cliffs. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I've kind of gotten in the habit of just throwing that hamski on everyone's bow when they get there because um, those animals like to live anyway. And um, as much as I like to pretend like I'm athletic, I really don't like blood trailing. So I, I really want it to die <laughs> fast. And so I, I, the third axis is, is in and out. So once you get everything else level, it's moving your scope potentially away or closer to you uh for up and downhill shots so if you you know were to the right uphill you'd be to the left downhill you guys want to talk about the Mm -hmm. third a little bit and how critical that is the steeper it gets yeah i mean you'll have a long day if you're and levi knows like we went to a tournament last year and my third axis was way off and it's no fun like you'll have a long day shooting up and downhill if your third axis isn't isn't on it makes for not much fun Mm -hmm. yeah it's awful man i mean and um everything like affects that like you're one of the things i learned a couple years ago is how much my back bar affected my third axis and like even just impact downhill yeah so like if you that's why you saw me this past weekend running v-bars because i was trying to get a bow ready for reading and you know i just found with that one bar Besides the fact that it's hitting you when you fire or trying to, you know, run it into your leg because you got to run it close to your string, that downhill, it wants to make my impact go right because that weight is out to the left only. And, like, the further I angle I'm at, the worse it gets. And so that's really hard to set that with your sight. Like, sometimes you can't. And then uphill, it's the opposite. So, like, I started running double V-bars so that I didn't have just weight on one side of my bow, like whenever I go that steep of an angle, but that might be a different subject for a different day. But, um, the third axis thing is like, just like Justin said, I mean, it can be, I mean, you could literally be at a, at a 60 degree angle. Like you're talking about missing animals left and right. Like yeah. if your third axis is off oh, I, one in the face or something. Oh, I've you know, watched like, that happen. Like, I didn't aim there. Yeah, no. You know, well, yeah, but <laughs> your third axis is a quarter bubble off, and he's forty-five yards at a sixty-degree angle, so you just missed by three feet. You know, so. Well, and the way that I had explained it, just doing con- construction for so long, if I'm putting a twenty-four foot tall curtain wall jam in, 
and I put a six-inch level at the bottom of it, and that six-inch level's out an eighth of an inch. So I got to, you know, pull the top off to, you know, bring it to level. Well, that doesn't mean the entire 24-foot jam is only an eighth off if you extrapolate that. that It's probably off an inch and a half at 24 (laughs) feet. So so if you look at that level, if you're shooting at 20 yards at, let's say, a 45-degree angle and you're three inches left, if you go out to yeah. 100, you're probably three feet left. Um, and yeah. the steeper it goes, the worse it gets to a point you'll actually feel like your elbow is going to come out of socket trying to pivot the bastard to level, which isn't technically level anyway. Um, right, yeah. And so, you, you know, when we j- just trying to get that info out there, it does not take much. You can do it with just the Hamsky leveling tool and get it, you know, f- and, and just do that. And I keep one in my box because I check everybody's when we get there because the chances of shooting a a 45 degree slope at 60 yards is is good like it's extremely high and it's bad enough with the range finders without going down too many rabbit holes range finders for the most part except that one uh, suck um we were doing actual the cut chart doing the math and we would get a hundred yard target 57 degrees or or 45 or whatever the cut of the rangefinder would give us 87, but the actual cut would be 77. So the rangefinder was off yeah. 10 yards from what it should mm-hmm. have been. And that's an angle comp rangefinder. Um, I don't know. Do you? Yeah, but it's just a generic, uh, you know, and like every, that's another thing. Like the speed of your bow, the drawing, everything changes what you should be cutting. You know, and the faster your bow is, the more you got to cut. Yeah. So it's like, that's what people don't understand. They think the faster my bow is, the less to cut. But it's actually the opposite. So, Well, and that's but, what's confusing as a guide when you're behind a dude and you range it and it says 57 and I know I've got to cut another three, five, or seven yards. I'm like, it may be 51. Good luck. You know, because it's – I don't <laughs> know what's set up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, that's, and that's no shit. If you guys see into the videos, there's a lot of – arrows you know coming high because i don't know the speed of their bow the weight of their arrow you know i don't know you know i'm taking a guess and so i know i'm gonna have to on some shots deduct at least three yards from what the rangefinder said sometimes up to 10 or 12 and it's literally yeah. like all right bro try 50 and aim at the heart i'm gonna watch it because i have no fucking idea if you're gonna hit this or not but i think you might and <laughs> There's nothing I can do about I mean, there's not any magical pill. That loophole mm-hmm. full draw four is more accurate than uh, the other range finders that I've used, unless you guys have tried something else. Um, have you guys had? No, it's the most, it's the closest, but I still want my cut chart. <laughs> well, yeah. that's, Justin, I have a cut chart that is probably older than you way back in the day <laughs> that, uh, remember the, Yardage Pro is like wearing a Bible on your chest at a monocular, the Bushnell Yardage Pro oh, 500. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't know how many side jobs I worked to afford that, but I went on a sheep hunt, and I remember the first arrow I was with my buddy was like probably 12 feet over its back. And I'm like, what's wrong mm-hmm. with this? And then I started thinking, okay, when I build stairs, the rise and the run, and then he, yeah, I'm going to yeah. have to do something different. This ain't working. So I glued a clinometer on the side of my rangefinder. And then I had a cut chart on my forearm, like this is old school <laughs> shit, right? So you yeah. range it, kind of hold it at the same level, poke your head out, look at the angle, and then run the cut. That's the most accurate way I have found to do it, even on speed, oh, yeah. you know? Um, 
Yeah, now these veins trying to tell you at least the angle. That's you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, when I was going on those sheep hunts and goat hunts and stuff, I was running two rangefinders, one on line of sight, one on angle mode, and then I had to cut my cut chart with telling me, you know, I would just enter the information, you know, because I had like a generic, like a one eye shot in it. 10 degrees, 15, 20, 25, 30, you know, that, that, and like, and I had like a spreadsheet where I'd come over to 90 yards at 35 and I was, I would have like minus four. So that would be off of like line of sight or off bow mode, whatever, whichever cut chart I'd shot in. And so, um, funny story this year, I went on that Kodiak, that Sitka blacktail hunt on, on Kodiak and I didn't take my cut chart cause I'm like, Kodiak's not like sheep hunting or nothing, you know. It's, I had no idea. I was an idiot, dude. I, I I got there and felt so stupid because everything was like a sheep hunt. I was like, it's exactly like a sheep hunt. I don't have my cut chart. I missed. I shot every arrow in my quiver one day, just with a rangefinder, because I'm like, I got no idea what this cut is. It's like 110 yards at like 40 degrees or something, and I'm like shooting in this bright sun, and I, my arrow hits and the deer jumps and stand there and I'm like look at Mike I'm like where'd that go he's like I got no idea I'm like dang it <laughs> I, I don't know what my cut is dude I, I'm like trying to shoot arrows and see like it, hopefully it stands there for another one and I can get one in it you know but I was like I will never make that mistake again like if I think there's going to be a hill anywhere I'm taking my cut chart so yeah well and I I mean I I don't um uh, yeah, you guys will have to come down and uh, and and hunt those with me at some point. That the Aldad, it's a it's a crazy, you know, hunt. I just you don't expect that when you get to like you're talking about, you know, going to hunt, you know, Sitka deer or whatever. Imagine some, you know, poor bastard think he's, you know, like thinking of high fence hunting uh, in Texas, and then ends up like opening day, like, all right, dude, it's forty seven yards after the cut. It looks eighty. Well, it is 80, but it's 47 yeah. after the cut. Good luck, <laughs> you know, and so it's just not, you know, people don't expect that um, when, you know, when they get, get down there. But what are you guys, are you guys both, I mean, Justin, are you using that loophole as well or do you use a cut chart or both? I use, I mean, I use a cut chart when you are OPA and Reading and stuff like that because, I mean, you know, those like a bow mode, if you're just whitetail hunting in, in timber or something, if it's 30 yards and 15 degrees, I mean, it's, it's you know, good enough, but when you get out there, like you said, 70, 80 yards and extreme 40, 50 degree angles, you, you have to have a cut chart because it's big cuts. You know, it's not a two, three yard cut like the range finder says. It's a seven, eight, ten yard cut sometimes. So, yeah, we go those those big shoots or big hunts or whatever. It's where you're shooting long distance and angles. I always carry a cut chart. Yeah. It's so funny to see the guys that like went to OPA and, and like the guys that had never been to a shoot like that and the guys that, were there like that we're talking about like inclinometers people got three range finders yeah. cut charts laminated and then the guys stand next to him like what are you doing dude like my, yeah. i'm just gonna shoot it for what my range finder my right. range does it for me yeah yeah, yeah. i'm like good okay good luck why they shoot it in the back yeah, yeah. oh well that's because your range finder but yeah, well, that's i think your... people just don't know that you know Right. Well, like tack events are like the worst for that or the best or whatever. And, and, you know, some of those, it's funny, like, uh, again, we're talking about with my wife, with her learning, you know, poised, you know, toes pointed downhill, right? So you're, you're on a 45 degree slope standing 
and I'm like, hey, honey, your arrow is going to probably drift towards your toes. You know, make sure you might want to even give it a little extra into the hill. And so, you know, one of the events, there was a 96-yard whitetail with a tree up the backside of the tin ring. And I mean a tree like, you know, the size of my head going up. And your toes are pointed towards the tree. We were the first ones on the course. And I told my wife, I said, I guarantee there will be 700 arrows in that tree by the end of the day. (laughs) And she's like, you know, what do you mean? And I said, your body, you know, gravity, right? And so I shoot first arrow, skip off the tree, hit a 12. Half my arrow was in the 12. It still counted. The other half, I don't know where it was at, right? Like, didn't give it enough. (laughs) And uh, I counted it, and I kept the score. Point was in the 12, right? So uh, we saw a photo on Instagram later that day. 700 arrows may have been, I may have underjudged it. I think that tree probably fell over in the winter. Um, Because there'll be (laughs) 2,500 shooters that go through that. And so, you know, trying to like on a 3D course, let's say reading your surroundings and some people are better at that than others. Like you get a new target and you're judging and everybody's shooting out the top. Like you've got 80% of the holes are out of, you know, top of the 10 ring or out of the top of the 12. I will deduct a yard or two because everybody, you know, most of those guys can judge. Obviously, if people can't shoot, there's arrows all over. But then again, you toes downhill you're probably going to drift to the right a little bit you guys want to talk about some maybe some of the tricks of the trade with that um you know and judging yardage which is becoming a lost art but also just form things with off cambered footing or poised pointed down or toes pointed down um because i i get a lot of guys asking about that as well and will a stabilizer fix that do you want to throw a big you know donkey deck off the left side if you're right-handed is that going to help you know things like that the only thing I've ever found, like shooting side hills, because I grew up shooting side hills, um, like in the mountain, like where same place Justin grew up in the mountains there. Yeah. But the the best thing I think that you can do if you're shooting side hills is draw into the hill, because if you draw, try to draw level, it's like you're constantly fighting, wanting to fall with gravity down the hill, you know whichever way that is, and it's like when the bow fires, everything goes that way, everything falls down the hill and so like 90 percent of your misses are going to be down the hill and so i draw into the slope and then ease my way to levels and so like it's i know it sounds crazy but it like really changes the feel of your shot when you do that so you like extreme into the hill at a level and then slowly bring your bow to level and then execute your shot and for some reason my stuff never falls away whenever I do that. I don't know what Justin does, but that's the only thing I've found that works. Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, I do the same thing. Like I said, I grew up in mountains and stuff, and you always shoot with toes pointed down, toes pointed up, and, yeah, you got to draw. And when Levi says draw into the hill, you, like, push your pop cam against the slope and then, like, bring it back. Um, because it, I don't, somebody told me once that it's like your, your mind trying to level against, like, perpendicular to the slope. Right, so it's not it's not level, but it's like ninety degrees from the ground. But I don't know if that's true or not. But it makes sense. But yeah, yeah. So I draw I draw into the hill, and and then if you know if your toes are pointed up or down, you're kind of naturally always going to fall that way, like you said. And sometimes, like I hadn't shot known yards in, or unknown yards in a couple of years, but like Aaron talked about holes high and low and stuff. I was always just too stubborn or dumb to like trust it. You know, go oh, I'm not going to do what those thirty people just did in front of me. And I'd do the same exact thing, you know, 
or I right. would cut or I'd cut two yards because everybody's shooting high and I'd shoot it in the leg. So it, it was right. I was I was just too not smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, I you know with the unknown thing in the holes, you know, Chance Bobak really got us a few years ago, and they changed yeah. it to an unsportsmanlike conduct rule. Um, but like Chance would like on white targets or hard targets, he would. You know, if he was, like, one of the first groups through, he would take his arrow out. And if it was, like, 52 yards, he would poke, like, 70 holes in the top of the eight ring. Like, people are going <laughs> high on it, you know? Yeah. And then, like, you come up to it, and you're like, oh, my God, everybody's blowing out the top. It looks like it's a mile. It must not be that far, you know? So, like, I'll run 48 at it. And you shoot five low and walk down there, and he signed the holes, like, with a little pin. And you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna kill him! You know? <laughs> and so they changed that. Now it's unfortunately conduct, uh, and you can't do that. But like for a long time, like you couldn't trust holes because right. like jerks like Chance are poking them in the targets instead of shooting. It's not being shot, you know. So they're trying to screw you up. But uh, I do now because you can't do that. Like if I walk right. up to a target and it looks like it's a bomb, um, and there's a bunch of holes at the top of the ten, I'm like, well, I know it ain't like Mac. You know, or if there's yeah. a bunch of holes like over the ten, I'm like, well, it ain't fifty-two. You know, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard. You can, and also like if I got guys in my group that are like spraying arrows all over the place, I'm not paying attention because I got fooled like that too. My first time ever oh, shooting yeah. with Joe Bishaw in an yeah. IBO. It was his first pro event. It was the worst day of my life. I've never been so mad at somebody in my entire life, and I've told him that a hundred times. <laughs> he he missed like six targets that day. And, like, I still was, like, letting him influence what I was doing because, yeah. like, we walk up on an elk, and I'm like, that's a bomb. Like, that's, like, 53 yards, you know. And so I set my sight. Well, Joby walks up, like, shoots it in the back. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, eight line high. And I'm like, and he's like, gosh, you know, like an old Jeff Hopkins. Like, that got there quick. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? So I cut yardage off, shooting eight low. And I'm like, what did you shoot that for? He's like, 56. I'm like, yeah, what are you thinking? Why would you shoot? We've never had a target in the history of IBOs that far. You know? Like, what are you doing? So um, you just got to be careful on who you're, who you're paying attention to. Now, if I'm in a group with, like, McCarthy and Chris Hacker and, you know, Joseph Goza yeah. and, and a peer group and, like, two out of the three of them blow it out the top, I'm going to be like, okay, you know, like I need to take a closer look, you know, so. Uh, this is way off, um, you know, by no means am I a caliber of shooter that, that you guys are, but um, it is funny because there are people that have gambling problems that like to uh, shoot with me, which I take full advantage of. And Absolutely. it is very easy to go walk up and be like, I can generally convince some to at least add three or four biscuits, but man, that's out there. <laughs> Jesus. And then, you know, and then I'll, I'll draw back, let down, and then act like I'm adjusting the site when I'm not like, ah, I'm going to mm -hmm. add another one. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, especially, and I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. He just dropped his bow off for me <laughs> to work on. Um, especially usually I got to give him like a 20, 30 point handicap, which 10, no problem. 20, eh, 30, I got to still pay attention if I give him a 30-point handicap, so I'll take whatever advantage I can get. And uh, exactly. I was, when you were taught, I never thought in the world that somebody would be 
and I don't know Chance, would stab arrows into the top of a target. That's horrible. Oh, yeah, and then sign it? You couldn't see it through binos, and you get down there and score your freaking five in the leg, and he signed his holes like, ha-ha, gotcha. Oh. <laughs> he must have done it a lot to get a rule changed. Oh, after. he did do it a lot. And he's he called people tournaments. Dude, Chance, he's, a, he's like the – like he's so clever, like funny. He's a good friend of mine, funny dude. But, like, I went to my first IBO several years ago. I never shot one. And it was right when they switched to Reinhardt. I've never even seen a Reinhardt target. And so we walk up to that little bitty cinnamon bear, whatever it's called. Oh, and yeah. Tiny. He's like, tiny he's like, God, dude, I shoot this thing in the dick every time. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, looking at it, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And he, like, he said it over and over. He's like, man, I, I shoot this thing in the belly button all the time. So I'm like, oh, well, whatever. You know what he's talking about. So I put three on. I add three to my sight. And I hit it like in the throat, dude. I hit it like six inches high. He's like, he just kind of laughs under his breath. <laughs> what a jerk, dude. <laughs> dude, he does it nonstop, man. Like, he, it, like, there's guys out there. Jeff Hopkins was that way, dude. I mean, it was a yeah. constant. He worked harder on screwing you up than he did actually shooting well, you know. Like, he was more concerned with winning a mental victory than the actual tournament. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I remember one time Jeff was completely out of the tournament. And it was in Gainesville, Florida. And I was in, like, like neck and neck with the lead, but it was, like, tight to make the shoot-off. You know, it was, like, a five-point spread. The last target is a black spot. And you know those things are tiny anyway. Yeah. And, like, I'm scared to death to go high. And, like, it looks like it's max. Like, I'm like, that's, like, 50 yards. You know, like, that's a bomb. Like, and all I need is a 10 to go in a shoot-off with the lead, you know. Stay in the eight ring, I'm in the shoot-off. A 10, I'm going to be leading. Jeff's, like... 20 points back, still trying to get in my head. He walks up and leads it and shoots it in the back on purpose and goes, oh, my God, it got there quick. You know, and I'm like, it did get there quick. You know, he's like, <laughs> I'm like taking the bait, hook, line, and sinker. Like, he's right. Like, oh, my God, I'm about to shoot the thing in the back. So I cut yardage, tighten the kneecap. Missed the shoot off, <laughs> missed everything. Jeff starts, he's horse laughing behind me. He's horse laughing. He's like, I aimed up there. You know, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you just took me out of the whole tournament for no no apparent reason other than to to get a kick out of it. <laughs> you know, so, so. Uh, yeah, you got to watch for people like that. Chance, Jeff. Jeff will take, or Chance will take your money on the practice bags. You got to watch him. He'll shoot one at 50, like, dead center like i'm talking about clock hand and then he'll stand there and wait for somebody like me or you to walk up they'll go post it to center 100 bucks to the 50 You're like all right well you put pull back and shoot he shoots well he'll shoot the 40 and y'all walk to 50 and he's got one dead center he'll take your 100 bucks <laughs> he's done it. i've yeah. watched him do it multiple times to people so. oh he's hollered like, hollered always bet too man so you can bet like closest one you know, closest one without missing it, basically. Like, close to the end of his nose without missing the target. You could do anything with followers. He would probably oh, he'll take the best. Yeah. yeah. That's, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like Chance, the kind of guy might still shit off your front porch and give it to you for Christmas, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it back. <laughs> he's he's one of our best friends, funny. dude. But, God yeah. dang, he's a sneaky son of a gun. I'll tell you, you can't. 
you can't trust him with it. I mean, he'll, he'll take your money and then tell you about it 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, but like Pollard, the same way, like we, I remember at IBO Worlds one year, we had a bet, me, him, Chance, and Garrett, I think, had a bet like on the practice thing. And Pollard stuffed a stick down my arrow and shoved a knock in it while we were pulling and never, and forgot about it. And I won the IBO Worlds with an arrow with a stick in it. <laughs> so you still won't admit it. And he still won't admit that he did it. And I'm like, I know you did it, dude. You're, <laughs> you're the only one that would do that. Except for Chance. And the time's gone by long enough now where he would have told me if he would have done it. So, yeah. Uh, that's funny. But, the, the, um, I won't, yeah. I, I won't keep you guys on too, too much longer. Um, uh, the only, I want to, uh, hunting wise, um, uh, I get this question a, a ton. People always want me to ask your, your hunting setup if it's not, with you guys, it's going to be a prototype. But if it's not a prototype, hunting bow, arrow, what your general setup are? Do you guys prefer multi-pin sliders, single pins? Um, go a little bit like that, and then and then total arrow weight setup, that type of thing, broadhead. Um, you want to go first, Justin? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll, uh, I shot the V three X last year, the thirty, uh, the thirty three, yeah, thirty three inch model. Um, 70 pounds, like 31 inch draw, and I shot the um, Axis four millimeter long range, the 250s, and it's a like a, almost a 500 grain arrow, like 485 or something like that, I believe. Um, swackers, pack veins, all that, and then I I shoot like a 12 inch front bar, eight or 10 inch back bar, not a whole lot of weight. And I just always do that because I shoot one a back bar in tournaments all the time, so it, it feels weird without one. So. And, yeah, I prefer, uh, like, a five-pin slider, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 6, and then I can move it to 100 or whatever. Um, and I, mean, I still, you know, hunt with a hinge, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I shot the V3X, 33, 75-pound, uh, with a, the true or the Excel landline. Uh, it's a five pin slider, same deal, 20, 30, 40, 60, 60. And then my 60 is what I use for my mover when I move it. Um, my, I shoot a 15 last year, depending on the bow, I shoot either a 12 or a 15 up front, um, with like three, three, four ounces. And then I'll run a 10 inch back bar with eight or 10 ounces normally. Yeah. Um, and then I run, I ran uh, Gold Tip Pierce tours last year um, with my uh, Swacker 261. Um, I ran a four-fletched 225 tack, and I really liked that for shooting long distance, quiet, cutting the wind, um, all those things. And it weighs 495. Um, and then, let me think, what else? Shoot a hinge. I hunted with the Scott Longhorn Hunter last year. Um, and I use like a, I don't know, um, eight peep, something like that. Maybe a size bigger than that. Yeah. When I'm hunting, uh, just enough for where I can see around my housing a little bit. Uh, that's it. I think, uh, any uh, QAD, uh, rest, the micro integrate, and that's it. Gotcha. Did that answer your question, Aaron, or no? I think so. I'm trying to think if we forgot anything, but I, I, I guess the only thing I would ask above and beyond that, because I get, uh, 
Well, Levi, you ruined my life by talking about clocking arrows coming out of the bow. That <laughs> sucked up fucking seven years of my You're life. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, because the thing is, is that the arrow does, you know, usually I've found if it's a right twist, uh, arrow rotates to the right. It's a left twist string, rotates to the left coming out of the bow. Um, I think I said that right. But um, I don't, um, I just fletch up my arrows and, and, and shoot. I don't uh, figure out which way my, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying if you can't hit a stop sign at 40 yards, you're not going to magically go to a quarter at 40 yards because you listen to Levi. <laughs> right, um, right. So I'm not saying don't listen to Levi. I'm just – there's other things you might want to work on for clocking your arrows. But um, I usually shoot a low-profile four-fletch offset, but recently I've gotten lazy and I started using – well, that and whatever, and fletch trad veins in, in, in my compound arrows up. Uh, Three-inch low-profile – um 2.6 is with an aae mini max and that thing i don't know yeah. if you guys that's like the most helical you could possibly get on an arrow um mm -hmm. i don't um you know if i can get 85 yards i'm shoot i've got an option six site right now and i can get about 85 yards out of it the big question and i think this is i'm going to probably blame you levi maybe some others about the parachute of the arrow um okay. where guys are when i say blame you I just want you to explain it. When you talk about parachutes, just the arrow slowing down more because more drag from the vein. Now, mm -hmm. if you, the easy way to, ex, ex, what I was explaining this to, to, to different um, people is I've always shot offset and that was enough stability, right? I didn't need a helical. Right. I'm really using the mini max because I'm lazy. It's just easier to fletch because that last chance pro will actually put a hell of a helical on as well. What people mm -hmm. need to understand is that you're, you may need more stability, so you may not be able to get, especially if you have some potential tuning issues, you may not be able to get a fixed blade broadhead to fly with a two and a quarter inch vein slightly offset, um, especially a fixed blade, unless you really know how to tune. So sometimes a little extra stability is good. Sometimes you don't need it, but... Do you guys want to dive into that a little bit when you want to go? I'm not a high profile vein guy, I like lower profiles and, and your tack vein basically mm -hmm. is exactly what I like. Talk about that yeah. a little bit. Um, and, and basically steering the arrow. Yeah. I mean, the parachuting effect was really determined on your overall arrow weight too. You know, I mean, I love vehicles. The more I can put on my arrow, the better without getting that. I, I did find like, if you're running up, 350 grain arrow and you put a four inch vein on the back of it with three degree helicals, it's not going to be very accurate at 80 yards, you know, yep. because what's happening is that, and depending on the vein too, because most veins on the market will fold in flight and they're loud and they're dragging so much wind because they're not holding their profile going down range. And so what happens is the back of the arrow starts to like, want to come to a screeching halt and the point of the arrow is not so it's not heavy enough to pull it and so it starts to do this circle effect and we call it parachuting and um but honestly if you're shooting a 500 grain arrow it's really hard to get that effect you know until you get to 150 yards or whatever when the arrow starts to really slow down but like um so I, I'm a big fan of running as much helical as you can get and still be, you know, before that happens. And with the tax, you have to run a lot of helical. 
because it's not folding in flight at all. You know, it's cutting what its profile is. So if you, you know, we try to run a two to three degree on all of our stuff, um, you know, for hunting, because I, with a two, two, five or a two, seven, five tag driver, um, it ain't going to fold in the wind. So it's not going to parachute at all. Um, so I can run as much helical as I want. And if you're shooting a fixed head, you better be running some helical or you ain't, you know, it's going to be just kind of planing all over the place and doing its own thing. You got to oversteer those things. Okay, cool. So, and I, I didn't want to lead you into that answer, but I'm glad you gave the answer that you did because it's been my experience with higher arrow weight or higher point weight, uh, or, or both. Um, you, uh, you're not going to within most people's effective shooting range. It's inconsequential. It does not really affect anything to run, um, a helical and a two and three quarter, you know, a three or four fletch or whatever, but, a uh, a little bit of helical. And what I did is with that, I just fletched, um, I did, I did, uh, six arrows with, um, the three inch, uh, or 2.6 inch with the mini max. So a crazy helical. And then I went mm-hmm. in and I fletched up with, with, uh, the last chance with, um, uh, a little bit less set up, a little bit less helical. I didn't gain like at 80 yards. It wasn't like I was blowing four feet out the top. There was a little bit of extra drag, but it wasn't enough to where I really, you know, cared. I, or I get, you know what I mean? It wasn't cause I wanted yeah. stability over, you know, Oh, I get an extra two yards out of my sight tape or whatever. I, I wanted to, 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 pr- I preferred stability. What people have to realize is when you throw that giant, sharp pointy object on the front, when it's a fixed blade, there's going to be wind drag from that automatically. So if you're really anal retentive and in certain setups, you might, you know, you get 80 yards might hit with your field tips, but in my experience, 60, if you can get your fixed blade broadheads to hit at 60 with your field tips, you know, that's a gift. 80 is a miracle. Not always, but I, I you can only expect so much because of, of wind drag. Do you guys want to kind of talk about that a little bit with, with the fixed blades and, and uh, what happens with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it It doesn't matter to me what you put it. it you know, a lot, of, a lot of expandable heads won't even hit at, you know, 80 or 100 yards with field points just because they got little bleeder blades or, you know, some of their blades are hanging out of the ferrules and stuff. And, you know, I mean, you know, like Aaron said, if you if you get a fixed blade at, at 60, that's great. And if it's further than that, I mean, yeah, it's a miracle. But, and yeah, I mean, I shoot like the helical thing. I, I With those tack bands, you kind of have to shoot two or three degrees and that's kind of what you want in here what i want anyway hunting because i hunt with expandables when i everywhere pretty much i can so but any any kind of drag on the front of the arrow is gonna you're gonna have to control it with veins and you know work with it tuning and all that stuff yeah I, yeah I, that's why i hate fixed plates because i like to hit where i aim and yeah. those suckers just don't really it don't matter how good you are tuning if you tell me that I get all my fixed blades to hit at a hundred yards. I'm like, well, you're a liar. (laughs) Or or like instantly everything you say is I'm letting in one ear and out the other because I've spent my whole life trying to do that. And I get two out of six to hit where I want them to, you know? And it's like, it's just so much stuff going on that you have to have perfect in the front of that arrow. I mean, if your veins are lined up different, the point of that broadhead is, uh, a hundredth of an inch off or a thousandth of an inch off 
it's going to be planing in a different direction as the one before it. And unless you're like some kind of insanely crazy tuning creek, which I consider myself to be uh, pretty good at tuning broadheads and arrows, like it's impossible, you know, at a certain distance to get every one of them to hit good. And like, that's why I love mechanicals. But just like Justin said, mechanicals, you know, you can't screw on field points and then go, well, it's hunting season. My bow sighted in. I'm going to put a mechanical on and go out hunting this morning. Well, you can, but you probably shouldn't. Like, yeah, that's why. Yards, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, that's why, like, I, like when I was shooting Swacker, and I've shot Swacker for 10 years, and when I was shooting that 207, the green one, like, I would never even sign my bow in with field points. I would glue one of those shut, and or two or three of them, and sight my bow in with them, and just kept those as practice because I never would shoot field points because at 100 yards, they hit six inches lower than my field points, you know, just because of drag. And so that's why when I designed that 261, I was like, we got to be able to lock this thing down so I can practice with it. And then I take the screw out and go hunting with it. And I know that this arrow with this broadhead at 115 yards, it's a three inch circle. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I know like maybe your distance is 60, but it still makes a difference. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, obviously like Aaron said, if you can't hit a stop sign at 40, you could shoot a gobbler guillotine at a white tail and you're probably not going to know the difference, but I, I, I just like to hit where I am. And that, that, um, yeah, yeah and I, I'm not trying to steer people away or towards, you know, one setup or another. It's just. I, um, you know, people get really wrapped up on, on speed and, and distance. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, preach the stick bow, let's get within 20 yards thing. I've dropped some major bombs in my day. It's just that accuracy is really what you want to focus on, not squeaking out an extra five yards on your sight tape. If you're going to be, um, you know, taking away from accuracy and, that that uh you know the helical you know depending on the setup what will help with with that some and I think um I'm not going to talk about the distances I you were with Harder didn't you shoot a moose pretty far and then he was like he he's exaggerated the distance of my caribou a bit it was not what he said it was but you can't <laughs> shoot things uh at that distance without what you're taught you know like. You got to spin every arrow, spin every broadhead. You, you know, I mean, there's a lot more. You can't have very many things off to be able to put arrows and dots with broadheads at that distance. And you, you got to be really anal about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I bend my broadhead straight. Like, period. Like, I put them on a... <laughs> I do the same <laughs> like thing Because the problem is not the broadhead or the arrow. It's the component. And the components don't go in straight. Well, you're screwing broadhead into an insert and then gluing an insert in. So there's space in these components. And so it's not all perfect. And people just trust that. But I'm like, I want it. I put it on my RAM and spin it with the broadhead tester. And if that gauge spikes, I don't like it. Like, I want to roll it and it never moves. And so, like, it might take me two weeks. But I'll just bend them back and forth until I get two dozen arrows that and honestly, that's the only time I've ever been able to like really achieve extreme accuracy at long range with broadhead. I, I think you um, do the same thing I do. I spin it. I, I just have a like a last chance or even one of those cheap pine ridges, but the last chance is better. 
I spin it, I watch, I figure out where my, you know, high or low point is. I mark it, then I put mm-hmm. it on the edge of the table and just and reef it, spin it again. Yep. I mean, it's redneck as shit. I've had buddies at my house like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm straightening my broadheads. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's, exactly. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm bending it back to where I want it to bend it. And every now and then I might give it a little too much and I got to go back the other way. But when I get ready, I do, I mean, you know, I fortunate enough to, I'm putting you know, a couple hundred animals on the ground a year. Sometimes I do like eight dozen arrows in a row. You want to talk about Ooh. like a night of Netflix where my wife is like, I fucking hate that spinner. Like she's <laughs> pounding wine. <laughs> And I'm flexing it because she's sitting beside me. And it's like hearing elk bugles, right? They're stuck in your head at night. We'll go lay down. And she's like, that noise is stuck in my head. I'm like, I'm sorry, dear. Drink more wine, you know. But it it takes that to be accurate at longer distances. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely does. Yeah, I've had people watch me do that. And they're like cringing because I'm like, just spent so much time building this arrow. Now I'm bending it? Like, what are you doing? Well, I don't know if you found this. A lot of times when you do that first bend, it'll click. Because yeah. something wasn't Pops. seated right in those components. You'll hear it pop. Yep. Um, and so I, I always, like, about half of them when I go to do, like, if it's a bad one, like, it's, like, eight thou off or something, I'm like, holy crap, that's awful. I'll go to bend it back, and it'll, like, pop in place. Yeah. Like, seat in that, in that um, insert or something in there seating more centered or finally centering whatever. So yeah. I don't know. Just uh, you can be as anal as you want to be with this stuff. I've just, the more I've had go wrong, the more anal I've become over the years, I think. so. Justin, I, I interrupted you there. I apologize. What were you getting ready to say for us talking about my wife drinking wine because of my arrow spinning problem? Who was going to say it? What's that? I, I don't remember. I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, no, Justin. <laughs> I think I interrupted up to Justin. Oh. oh, I don't remember. I forgot. Well, I think, though, that if people take anything away from this, you know, podcast, obviously, I, you know, accuracy uh, and I I don't want to make fun of the heavy FOC crowd, you know, too much because I I throw I got 175 up front in mine, Um, you know, so it's not like I have a light setup by any means. And it sounds like we're all shooting fairly. You know, there's a happy medium for me. I like to be around 280 feet per second hunting. Bow's pretty quiet, easier to tune, uh, decent speed. I know. Is that where you guys out at roughly? What speed wise for hunting? I, yeah, I I just end up at around two ninety three hundred a lot. Sometimes over three hundred just because longer draw lengths and stuff. But yeah, I I try to get a reasonably heavy arrow. You know, four seventy five to five hundred or so, and and you know two eighty to three hundred, really good speed. Yeah, I try I not to go too crazy. I'm normally at around a 500 grain arrow, somewhere between 290 and 305. So, yeah, depending on the bow. Yeah. I got short yeah. arms. I got a good bench press and a shitty draw length. I'm like pushing at 29. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, people have to, like, I've, you know, people have, have heard me say I shoot a 550 grain arrow. Well, that one I was shooting 95 pounds, right? Or 90. I used to hunt right. with 90 to 100. Now I'm at, you know, 70 to 72. Anyway, I, you know, I shoot a. Um, a 478 grain arrow and it's around 284 and that that's yep. like a happy medium but again like accuracy trumps just about everything like you work on being more yeah. accurate yeah i mean what you if if uh what did mccarthy say he's like i can shoot a 425 grain arrow because i hit what i'm aiming at 
uh, with the mechanical. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know how he is. He's not like brash. He's just literally like, hey, the sun's looking pretty today. He was like, well, I I can shoot a light arrow because I hit what I'm aiming at. He didn't mean it in a negative way. And, um, you know, but he's right. He's right. (laughs) Well, you guys know Bill Pellegrino, right? He's, he's, uh, yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to this. I always give him shit. I call him bipolar bureau because he can be a little up and down at times, um, when he's in a bad mood and he, I've known him forever. Right. And Bill his 40 yard and end guy, 425 grain arrow, and he shoots a mechanical and he's killed a lot. And uh, he was at the podcast. He goes, you know what? Most people's problem is hunting. They can't hit the fucking thing. And I was kind of blue. I was like, ah! <laughs> and I was like, well, he goes, really? He said, if people really worried more about accuracy and just hit where they were aiming. And he goes, you know, and he had said, he goes, I get it. Animals can move. And, you know, I get that. He goes, but rather than running quadratic equations to get to 23% FOC, you know, really work on your accuracies. Like, I'm not saying don't shoot. If you want to shoot a heavy arrow, shoot a heavy arrow, but really work on being like, yeah, you know, like have a goal. First shoot, um, you know, rather than shoot a, you know, shoot a 300, that's your first goal. High 50 X's, you know, work on like blueprinting like this roadmap to become the best archer you can be rather than just running numbers all the time. Like get out there and have goals to set to become better and better and better. And magically, you will have a lot less issues while you're in the woods. And I, yeah, and I agree with him. I mean, the, the most consistent thing I've found, and it's not that heavy arrows don't work. They do, obviously. But the, but it's a, you know, there's a happy medium there where you lose speed and efficiency once you get so heavy. It's like like my setup, or our, like sounds like all of our setup, I feel like it's way more efficient and running a 700 grain arrow at 215 feet a second. You know, yeah. I'm like, that's not very efficient for me. And the, the common theme, I'm not saying everybody shoots super heavy arrows can't shoot, but the common theme is most people that say you have to shoot an arrow that's that, like, unbelievable heavy with a certain FOC are terrible shots. They hit a lot awesome. of shoulders. <laughs> yeah. They can't hit what they aim at, and that's yeah. just a fact. You know what I'm saying? And so, like... That's why, like, yeah, well, you're going to shoot it in, in the neck bone or the shoulder or something, or you got to bust through a deer's skull or an elk skull because you hit four feet left, and you probably do want to want to run a 700-grain arrow, you know, or well, if you're hunting Cape Buffalo every day of your life. Well, that, I've definitely pissed off some of the crowd because it's like, hey, everybody, raise your hand if you're hunting Africa and Cape Buffalo and, uh, you know, hippos this year. Oh, I don't see what his hands raised. Okay, let's talk about North America yeah, then and get back to reality. Yeah. And uh well, let's stop putting inserts in our arrows, like full length inserts. Yeah. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> well, the one thing, like especially, you know, guiding, you know, you get all walks of life and accuracy levels and um you know, the, the when you when you have prepared to hit, the shoulder mathematically, right? Keep, uh, you know, you, you, me, and Justin out of this. Mathematically, the shoulder is much smaller than the diaphragm, liver, and guts, right? It's just right. run the numbers. Yeah. So y- y- <laughs> there is a chance you could hit the shoulder, but in reality, unless you have some superhuman setup, you're, you, it's probably better off to hit the shoulder and have it fall out than it would be to maybe penetrate one lung, uh, maybe penetrate exactly. one lung. And, <clears throat> and I, I hate getting right. in this argument because some chucklehead brings up this one dude that's uncle's cousin's sister's brother, made it through a shoulder, 
And I'm like, come on, man, it's the exception. And I just say the shoulder. You can make it through the scapula on the thin side, you know, with the with certain setups. But the meat of the scapula, you're not getting through, especially on the T. And I heard a story, a guy broke the knuckle. And I'm like, you know what? My aunt grew balls and became my uncle, too. It happened once, but it's not going to happen very often. The chances of you hitting liver and stomach are a lot higher. And so right, yeah. do you want to shoot a wider cutting diameter broadhead in case that happens in comparison to the miracle it might take to get through the, and when I'm talking again, the scapula beefy part of the shoulder, because if the arrow hits the shoulder and it bounces out and leaves a big cut, that animal's going to be fine. Right. Exactly. If you hit a small, and I'm going to end up getting bashed to hell. We'll be on archery talk next week, fellas. Guaranteed. Um, Every time I do one of these with you, we end up, I don't even go on the internet for at least a month. After. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, luckily for you guys, Gillingham's going to come out first, so they'll already be looking, and then they're going to come right to this. One. So <laughs> they're going to be busy then because he, he says a lot of stuff that I don't. I'm not sure of. Um, well, I'll you, actually get on there and troll your podcast over Gillingham. <laughs> I'm going to do it. But if if you hit a animal with a smaller cutting diameter broadhead in the stomach, you have a less a far less chance finding that depending upon the situations or you got to let it sit overnight coyotes whatever than you do with more trauma from a wider cutting diameter broadhead so these are just things for people to think about i'm not telling you to shoot a, a freaking 380 grain arrow you know at you know 700 i'm i'm just saying there's moderation in everything good arrow weight good yep. flight good accuracy like focus on those things and focus on accuracy in just learning the craft. And I, I think you guys would agree with that. So. Yeah, 100%. 100%, dude. I mean, that's it. Just, just bow hunting, be a better shot. I mean, you're only as good as a, a hunter as you are a shot. So that, you know, I've, I've heard the argument people are like, oh, that doesn't make you a good hunter. And, and uh, you got to get close to animals. And, and I'm like, no. I'm not going out for nature hikes. You know, I'm not trying to take pictures of these things. Like being a hunter, is like you're trying to kill the animal. Like that's just it. Like whether you want to be politically correct or not, that's part of it. And like, I feel like I'm only as good a hunter as I am a shot. You know, like if I can kill it at a hundred, it makes me a better hunter than if I could yeah. until I was at 30, you know, it doesn't make me a better hunter because, I have to get to 20 yards before I'm confident. And, oh, well, I got 20 yards of three fork horns this year and killed them. So I'm like a great white hunter. I, no, I feel like having the ability to kill an animal and be confident and efficient at doing that, at like zero to 100 in certain situations, makes you a, a better hunter, in my opinion. And you're definitely going to argue with people for that for years. Yeah, you're definitely going to yeah. end up on archery talk over that last few seconds there, <laughs> yeah. without a doubt. I ain't been on archery talk. <laughs> I ain't been on archery talk since I was like 19. I learned real quick that that's where all the idiots go. And this, this oh, I, 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 I was shot. <laughs> I, 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 rec I got a message from a guy recently said, man, I want to apologize. I had a bad opinion of, of you from archery talk and some other you know, website, but I started listening to your podcast. You're actually pretty funny. Good guy. And I'm like, if you're getting your opinions to someone from archery talk, yeah. I don't know about that. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not bashing everyone on archery talk. I've just, I've heard a lot about myself that is disconcerting. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys know this. I've been busted for poaching four times. And I'm like, really? 
I'll be damned. I didn't I know that about myself. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that about yeah, myself. I'm an awful. I, I'm a terrible shot and, and <laughs> an awful hunter and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I've had people send me threads like, "Can you believe this?" I'm like, "I'm not looking at it." Like, I refuse to get on there. Like I said, never getting on there again, and I'm not. So <laughs> I read. I had a. And it's fourth... a shame because there's so many people on there that actually ask good questions, but it's like YouTube when you look up information on fitness. Like yeah. there's a million different answers and experts, and they all tell you different. Like I'm, I'm gone. I so. had um, which you guys probably didn't go through the two four hour long podcasts with uh, I had with Chris Rowe, but on one of them, I had talked about which you know Levi, you I I didn't plan on being known. I just wanted to go hunting, and then it just happened, right? I where I'm, I'm, right. I'm and I would like to get away from social media, but I'd still like to teach or help people. And the problem is, is if you, let's say we all three went hunting. I called in a bull and Justin, I'm not picking on you, but you made a horse shit shot, but it was a learning um, situation where we could film it, talk about it, what we did, how we found it, the blood trail, how long we waited. But I would never do that because Justin, you would get fucking blasted for weeks and everybody would say you suck. You're a, he's a pro what's going, and it's not worth it where People learn lose so much knowledge if you didn't have to deal with the BS of of right you know and so and it sucks I, I think I'm just going to start a separate you know website where I can break down some of these things and then if I you know I can just block you myself or whatever because it's constructive I don't mind but I, yeah it's a it's a little rough Justin you're still young and I'm not saying that in a negative yep. way <sighs> I. Have you been on our? Have you read about yourself on Archery Talk yet? It's awesome. No, I haven't. Like like Levi, I haven't been on Archery Talk in ten years. Good. Yeah, it's a good idea. Occasionally, I get the same thing. Mm-hmm. Guys will send me a link. I'm like, no, never do that again. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. read about myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's a pointless. Like if you're trying to learn about archery, it's not the place to go. <laughs> yeah. Or yourself, because people have really low opinions of you. And whether you know it or not, yeah, yeah, I might go on there now and just see, like you said, learn what I don't know about myself on archery talk. <laughs> well, I'm sure, there's, I'm sure yeah. there's some really, really good opinions of you yeah. on there. I, uh, I, I'm lucky enough that I started shooting a recurve. So not only now, it's the leather wall. Like I, I'm, I can read about myself not only on compound sides of things, but also the trad world. And so if I'm bored, I could just sit there all day and read about how much I suck from multiple different stick bow and compound forms. So I, 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 I have it like double whammy now, which is great. So, yeah, I definitely listened to Rogan on that one. Rogan said never read comments, and I've listened to that. I, I just try to stay away from them. Yeah, yeah, I don't go. Dude, I haven't. Honestly, I've, I've, uh, for the last few months, I've kind of been off social media too for the most part. Like I don't scroll anymore. I don't. I don't look at DMs anymore. I just make a post and say what I need to say, and then I'm gone. And it's just a way, way nicer life, <laughs> you know, than yeah, hearing all the different opinions people have of you. Because, oh, geez, that's just a drain. Well, um, on that, I guess, um, before we end up on more websites and keep talking, we should probably <laughs> hop off. <laughs> Levi, you totally screwed us on the last one. I'm blaming you if we end up on there. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, I'm not even on there anymore really looking, so you'll have to let me know if people really give you a hard time. I don't pay attention. <laughs> the, the funniest one was something about you and Bomar having some kind of a love child uh, 
or something, and I can't remember. It was so bad I didn't send it to you because uh, I was like, I wouldn't <laughs> want to read this about myself. And I know Levi has probably seen these things about me and been nice enough not to send them, but that was like eight months ago or something. And oh, I, yeah. I knew the backstory. Dude, that guy gets so much hate, and like people are just, you know what it is? People are just super jealous. I mean, Josh is a very, you know, in your face individual, but he, dude, he's, he works harder than 99.9% of people on the planet, you know, to get what he has. And I'm like, ah, people are just well, so angry at that. You know, I, uh, uh, my, 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 my wife, I had Josh on speaker and you know how like, he, Hey guys. And he's like, like really excited. Right. And he's man. And, and I hung up the phone. My wife goes, who the fuck was that? Cause I don't have any friends like that. Right. I mean, he didn't cuss the whole time. And he was like a, a kindergarten teacher. Hey class. And I mean, just excited. And I was like, that was Josh Bomar. And she's like the big muscle head dude. And I was like, yeah, I said, yeah. And, and she was like, is he like that all the time? I'm like, every time I've talked to him, he's like, sometimes he's worse. I was like, he's a very excited guy, but I, he I, is man. He's like, it, it doesn't matter if it's one in the morning too. Like I got an idea, dude, check this out. And I'm like, bro, I'm asleep. Like call me tomorrow. You serious? <laughs> yeah. He's just funny, man. Yeah, so, uh, anyway. Well, uh, fellas, I appreciate, uh, you guys both hopping on. I, I wish you guys the best with the rest of the, uh, the season and, uh, the hunting season and everything else. And I'm sure people will learn a lot from this. So I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. No problem. And by the way, uh, Justin, your social media page I'm looking is suffering. So everybody go follow Justin Hanna underscore AVL Realtor to help his social media status that listens well, to this Well, I appreciate podcast. it. Thank you. It is, it is suffering a little bit. <laughs> you got <laughs> to pump. never the, goes on. Yeah, 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 I never do. Yeah. You got to pump those numbers up. So uh, cool. Yeah. All right, guys. You guys have a good uh, good day. Take it easy. Thank you, man. All right. See ya.